Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We'd especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Jared Kernop, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, and Keith Gasper. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 93 of a Retro Hangover. Retro and Classic Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are virtually variable, viciously voluptuous vultures vying vociferous victories. This is episode 93 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with, as always, your host, Shane. Deep Red Dick Dragon Koski! You know, I feel as though we might never be able to quite top the, the Papa Dick Dragon moniker from, from the near discussion, but that doesn't mean we're not going to try. We're always going to try to top a Papa Dick Dragon. We could do a Papa Red Dick Dragon. <laughs> pa- pa- Papa John's Dick Dragon. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> that has other implications. Never mind. It, it could, and I don't want to go there. It's just sweaty Italian meat. Ooh. Now you got now you got me excited. <laughs> All right. He's back in. Who's back in? You. I was always here. I never left. And Papa John. Oh. Oh, I see where this is going. Let's not do that. <laughs> Let's not do that. This is a great way to start the episode. Welcome, everybody, to this Hi. episode where we t- are going to talk about the Virtual Boy, as you probably saw when you you know, opened the episode. So thank you for being here. It seems like we're going to be joining into the chorus of the internets in the, you know, I guess, mandatory bashing of the system at some point. I'm very excited. How about you, Shane? Oh, I'm I'm thrilled. It's definitely a topic that has never been covered before, and I am so excited to be breaking some some real new ground here. Let me tell you. You know what? The good news about all this is that our patrons cannot put this on a patron poll because it's already been done. So we're getting ahead of it. That's true. That's true. We are we are preempting the awfulness. But I mean, truth be told. There are a lot of worse options out there, so I, I, I don't doubt that they will be able to find some other war crime that they can inflict upon us later. I mean, Llama can always suggest Fatal Frame, but I don't think he's going to. So ha ha ha, Llama. But he should, though. Like, I'd actually enjoy that one. I think that would be a real fun one. We'll find out. Yeah, you know, there's still plenty of time. But before we get to that, 
we're going to do what we are want to do. Mm. And that is talk about games we have been playing recently. Ah, yes. So, Shane, why don't you kick this off? What have you been up to, dude? Man, I don't even know what are video games. I haven't really been playing that much uh, lately, or at least since the last time we we talked. Mm Mm-hmm. I think uh, Breath of the Wild is is still on the docket, still trying to to finish that one up. I'm kind of going back and forth on whether I really want to bother with all the side quests or not. Part of me thinks so, and then part of me kind of just wants to finish it and consider it done and out of the way. Not particularly sure if that's a great outlook to have on a game of just like, I just want to finish this and never look at it again, but is what it is. Uh, other than that, it hasn't really been a whole lot, honestly, just because I've been so busy with other stuff like with work and, and just adult things, you know, trying to finish up stuff around the house and getting it fixed up and all that. I have found a a new appreciation for idle games actually. Hmm. So I've been playing idle champions, which is like the D and D RPG idle clicker game. Basically on almost every platform, but I, I happen to have it on the Epic Game Store, and that's only because they had a deal where if you started playing on there, you got like a pack with like a whole bunch of heroes and equipment and stuff to like get you jump started. And it's like gameplay in the very like loosest sense of the term. <laughs> but it's nice in that it's a fantastic second screen game and that I can have something running over there and my party is just like you know auto battling their way through each level uh while i'm like working or doing something else on my main screen and then i check in on it occasionally and level people up and add skills and whatnot and so um i feel as though i'm still making progress in something even though i don't need to dedicate a lot of like actual focused time to it so i i i have found a spot for that kind of game i never really felt like I would want to play an idle game like that before. But now that I'm at this point in my life, I kind of feel like I understand where they fit into the, (laughs) the game ecosystem. But (laughs) honestly, that's pretty much it right now. I've got some other things that I are queued up for me to play. And technically I have been playing something else on my handy dandy little retroid pocket Two emulation machine. Uh, But I don't want to talk too much about that. Because that that might be for a, a, a an episode coming up very shortly. So yeah, so that's me. Is it the bad one? I mean, define bad. Really, it, was it was it unique? Was it a product of its time? Was it a shameless product tie-in? Oh, that one. Yes, to all of the above questions. Okay, I was th- I was thinking it might be another one. Which okay, good, no. good. I'm happy you haven't played that one yet. Uh. Yeah, I don't even know what an idle game is. Uh, well, it's kind of what I described. Basically, I mean, they take slightly different forms, but idle champions is like you, you have a certain formation that you have to place you, all of your party members into and they generate like buffs based on where they're located in the party formation. So like people that are next to a certain character will get like an attack buff and mm-hmm. whatever. So there's, there's actually quite a bit of strategy in kind of building out how you want to form your group based on what party members you have available to you. And each major like story area of the game has a different specific 
like shape that you have to put your party in. So you have to change up your strategy every time. Is it idle L E or idle O L uh, L E as in you don't have to like do much. It plays itself. Oh, so like once you set up your party in the formation that you want, where you're kind of maximizing your buffs and everything, they like attack the waves of enemies and all that stuff like automatically. So it kind of plays itself. And then you just level up your characters as you gain experience and like money or whatever. Most of those games don't hold my attention for very long, but the reason that idle champions does is actually because of that like party formation strategy bit like that actually is pretty interesting to me. So, Oh, okay. Kind of sounds like a tower defense game. Yeah, it is kind of, yeah. Like tower defense is, is actually a really good example of an idle game, like in that sense. So yeah. Okay. Now I understand. I got it. Cool. So, uh, so what about you, man? What have you been up to in the, in the, the, the long stretch of time since we've talked? (laughs) So if you don't know, obviously it has not been a long stretch of time since we last recorded, obviously. Mm. So I've been actually pretty busy just with a lot of things going on. Uh, work is starting to get back to almost normal levels with the exception of me not traveling, but in terms of what always happened in the office, you know, pre pandemic, it's pretty much back to normal. So I'm essentially going to work every day unless, you know, I, I feel like teleworking, which Mm -hmm. is a nice thing to have still, I guess until that ends, but it's kept me like real busy, especially with things about the podcast and, uh, You know, it's just it's kept me occupied for sure. So the gameplay time has really gone down. Uh, So I'm still playing Shining Force 3 scenario 2, but I've had some chance to play. uh, I've had some chances to play some other games uh, on my analog Super NT uh, because I got that. So, of course, I need to get games for it or else. What's the fucking point? Of course. Played some Thunder Spirits, which is just Thunder Force 3 for the Super Nintendo, which would be awesome Except maybe I'm doing something wrong, but it doesn't have auto fire, which is awful. I need auto fire in my shmups. If I don't have Mm -hmm. auto fire, I'm not happy. I'm not a happy person. Got to get that turbo button. (sighs) There is no turbo button for a Super Nintendo controller. That's what that's the worst part about it. It's (laughs) it's oh, PC engine was so good. It was just default. And the other game I'm. I tried playing for a little bit was pilot wings, which everyone says is super relaxing, but I definitely need more time with it because I get super pissed because I cannot control shit in that game. It controls horribly. I I don't know what I'm doing. I never understood the love for that game. I'm going to be honest. I've tried playing it before and I thought it was awful, but yeah, the super Nintendo version just makes me want to play the N64 version, which I think is a great game. I love the N64 Mm -hmm. version. The Super Nintendo version, the first mission when I was a, I was a plane and I could land it, that was fun. Then everything after that just just kind of soured me. I did not understand what I was doing incorrectly. I was doing apparently everything wrong, so I turned it off not too much <laughs> later and uh, went back to editing and writing and playing Shining Force 3, which, you know, was oh, always a good time. Go. Always a good time. Yeah. Also, it sounds like now our patrons will just collude to vote for pilot wings next time we have our quarterly patron poll. I think I could accept that. I could deal with that. Meh. There are there are worse punishments I know that are out there. I mean it's <laughs> I suppose not suppose that's true. 
it's not like a game that you can't play. People have learned how to play it and have played it in the past and have liked it. So there's a trick to it. I just need to figure it out. I mean, if I have to play it anyway, if I don't have to play it, I probably will never figure it out. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that was kind of the extent of my experience with it. I uh, played it for about 10 minutes and was like, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing and then never picked it up again. (laughs) That's that's probably the best way to play it today, (laughs) which is probably the best way to play our topic of the week, which is the virtual boy. Oh, yeah, I am so hyped. Mm. I am red with excitement because there's no other (laughs) color to be. No, no, there, there is only red and and the and then the absence of color. Yes. Much, much like the absence of a game library. But we're going to get to that <laughs> in the brief history that Chris is going to uh, now provide so eloquently. So, Chris, please, uh, please give the folks at home some history behind the venerable virtual boy. What does it mean to be on the bleeding edge of technology? Is it in reference to your eyes after roughly 15 minutes of gameplay? Perhaps it's a description of your machine's chosen color palette. I mean, why not both? Nintendo seemed to take that phrase quite literally in 1995 with the Virtual Boy, a 32-bit stereoscopic 3D allegedly portable system. The story actually begins in 1985, when a company by the name of Reflection Technology Incorporated, or RTI, created a device known as the Private Eye, a head-tracking stereoscopic device that used internal mirrors to simulate 3D visuals. RTI initially shopped its prototype around to commercial toy companies such as Mattel and Hasbro, but was summarily turned down at every turn. Then they turned to the video game industry, presenting their invention first to Sega, who also declined, specifically citing the device's monochrome display and potential for motion sickness. Things took a turn for the better, however, when RTI approached Nintendo, largely thanks to the now legendary Gunpei Yokoi. It was Yokoi who became quickly enamored with the private eye, and given his track record of successes with the Game & Watch and the Game Boy, Nintendo felt confident to leave it in his capable hands, even going so far as to purchase a plant in China to exclusively manufacture the device. Codenamed VR32, work began on fashioning the RTI prototype into a full-fledged console product. Though there were discussions of leveraging a full-color display, Yokoi would ultimately keep the Private Eye's original red and black monochronistic color palette. The decision was made largely as a cost-cutting measure, as the alternative would have forced the device's MSRP to go up to roughly $500, but also because a true black contrast created a greater sense of depth and effectively eliminated the motion blurring issues seen with the Game Boy. Nintendo would eventually have to axe the motion tracking technology and head mounting design entirely, realizing that Sega's concerns regarding motion sickness were not unfounded. Instead, Nintendo would make the device a stationary viewpoint meant to be played on a tabletop or other flat surface. Early previews were shown off throughout 1994 and 95, with Nintendo being aggressively optimistic with an estimate of 3 million units sold in Japan alone within the first year. 
Unfortunately, trouble had already begun to brew as company legend Shigeru Miyamoto could not be involved with the Virtual Boy's development due to the upcoming Nintendo 64, and Yokoi himself was under the impression that the system he had been designing was so scaled down it would never make it to market. But make it to market it did on July 21st, 1995 in Japan and August 14th in North America. Despite the many features removed in an effort to reduce costs, Nintendo still had to sell the Virtual Boy at a $180 price tag, $20 less than what a brand new, objectively more powerful N64 would run you a mere year later. While the console launched with some fairly decent quality games in Mario's Tennis, a packin' title, Red Alarm, Telero Boxer, and Galactic Pinball, none of them were exactly system movers. Regardless, Nintendo projected 1.5 million units to sell by December, and in actuality it only sold about 350,000. The Virtual Boy wasn't just poorly received by consumers, it was also panned critically. Reviewers would note its high price, and that simulated 3D effect didn't actually make games any better, feeling more like a novelty than anything else. It was clear that the Virtual Boy was a failure. The system would only see 22 games officially released, and was discontinued a mere seven months after its debut quickly finding its way into bargain bins everywhere, with only 770,000 consoles believed to have been sold overall. The console's performance was so bad that when Gunpei Yokoi left Nintendo in August of 1996, it was assumed that it was due to the fate of the Virtual Boy, even though that would later be proven false. The system itself seems to have little in the way of actual legacy for the big N, who seem content to relegate the Virtual Boy to little more than an embarrassing footnote in the company's otherwise, mostly, stellar history. For the rest of us, Nintendo's foray into pseudo-VR will always be a curious oddity at best and a meme-worthy butt of many jokes at worst. And that is your brief history of the Virtual Boy. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history. So before we go into the stuff we usually talk about, I am actually curious if you know this piece that you mentioned about Yukoi leaving and people believing it due to the Virtual Boys. Fantastic failure. Spectacular. You said it was proven false. Like, what, what was the actual reason? Did he go on record as saying something or... So, well, because, I mean, it's, it's hard for him to go on record because he died in 1996 too, I believe. In, in the it was, car, well, so. it was in nine. It was in ninety-seven. I believe. Yeah, but yeah. Ninety-six, ninety-seven. So I mean, he he died shortly after he left the company. Mm -hmm. But the reason that a lot of people think that that's not true is he was talking about retiring earlier, uh, before the Virtual Boy even came out. But I, I think like he was talking about retiring before he even started working on the Virtual Boy. So he got the Virtual Boy out and then actually designed and released the Game Boy Pocket after the Virtual Boy had already failed. So he had already worked on another product. And then when the Game Boy Pocket came out, then he left Nintendo, started his own company and designed and released the Wonderswan. Right. Yeah. OK. But he had always had intentions of leaving whether or not the Virtual Boy was going to be a success. At least that's the story today. Gotcha. OK. Well, that's interesting. 
Um, so we're gonna we're gonna change things up just a little bit, of course, because we're talking about a, a console in its entirety and uh, not a particular video game. So our categories of discussion will be shifted a little bit, but we're sticking mostly to the same sort of structure. So. Uh, as we usually do, we'll kick things off with some personal experiences. So, Chris, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you came to know the uh, the Virtual Boy? I mean, it was on TV. It was everywhere on TV. Sure. Yeah. And if you were into video games, as I assume both of us were, of course, you knew the Virtual Boy existed. It was going to be in your magazines. Yeah, of course, like I just said, it was going to be advertised on the television, probably during Saturday morning cartoons. It was inescapable in terms of what was out there being advertised from Nintendo. So when it was released, I actually they had this promotion with Blockbuster back in the day where Nintendo put a bunch of Virtual Boys out there for people to try. And if they tried it, they were able to, they were able to get like ten dollars off the Virtual Boy. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I was part of that promotion. I just wanted to try it out because I wanted to try out all new systems back then, as a, a lot of other people did. You know, whether it was Blockbuster, or Hollywood Video, whatever the case might be. That was the first time I ever played it, and uh, it didn't really make me happy enough to or excite me enough uh, to want to get one because I never ended up getting one. Uh, I think until like two years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I first got one just because I I found one in the local video game store, local video game store, video game rescue. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's uh, that's a good, decent price. I'll I'll pick it up. But yeah, it it never really interested me much after initially playing it, not because I didn't like the games I was playing. It's just there didn't really seem to be a reason to get it. That's that's where it was for me. Gotcha. Okay. yeah, the whole the blockbuster thing was interesting, too, because I know I think more or less right off the get they were renting virtual boy systems for like nine ninety nine for, you know, X number of nights or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in addition to like that promo for getting money off if you were going to buy one. And plus, I think there was like a rent a certain number of games, get one free deal or something. So they were pushing it pretty, pretty hard. And like, I know, I know that I saw it in advertisements. It was it was pretty much inescapable, as you mentioned. But I actually never really had an opportunity to play one um, right when it came out. I want to say, and this could be horrifically wrong but then again nobody knows any better so it's irrelevant but i I know that it was at least a couple of years after this thing was released where i actually got around to trying one out and that was because uh one of the kids in my neighborhood um who i had you know hung out with uh, a a few times we weren't like super good friends or anything but he was nearby so you know that whole proximity thing really helped when you were a kid oh yeah he happened to have one And so one of the days I actually remember this pretty clearly, I went over to his house and we were, you know, um, playing with, you know, the, the action figures and whatnot, as you usually do and just kind of chilling. And then, uh, I noticed that he had this thing and I feel like he even sort of realized it was kind of shit because (laughs) I very clearly recall his virtual boy just kind of like being haphazardly thrown in like a corner of his room, like with a bunch of other random toys and shit. And I recognized what it was. And he was just like, Oh yeah. I mean, you want to try it? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course I do. Hmm. Cause at the time I had, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. 
but yeah, I, I remember like firing that thing up and like we, you know, just stood it basically on the floor of his room and I like laid on my stomach and cocked my head up so that I could like see into the device and played Mario tennis that way for about 10 or 15 minutes and was just like, okay, well, that was a, that was a thing. And I, I remember my eyes feeling like I had just gotten up from a nap and I was just like, okay, well, I, I can check that off the list now. <laughs> and that was pretty much my experience with it. It sounds like you were enthralled from first sight. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, tr- honestly, I think the idea, the like mythical quality of this thing far outweighed the, the actual reality once I finally got around to, you know, really experiencing experiencing it it's kind of like one of those like never meet your heroes things i probably should have just never bothered to play it and then i could have had this headcanon idea of what the virtual boy could have been but we know what it was we do uh and how how what it was designed and what kind of functionality it had so just talk about your i don't know complaints or just talk about how it looked how it was built you know what do you really think about how the thing was presented Literally everything about this thing is awkward and uncomfortable. I would <laughs> almost, say almost everything. Almost okay. everything. Okay. Almost everything. I'll get to that in a second. As I kind of alluded to in the way that I played this game, I mean, granted, I didn't choose the best position to fucking play in, but like, there's no good way to set this thing on a surface and play it where it does not involve you like somehow hunching forward to like plaster your face up against the viewport. Um, in order to like actually play it, I, there's there's no way. Like even if you look at some of the promotional footage from like the E3 demos that people were playing back then, even then you see every single person standing around like a a normal height, you know, kind of like a high top table is what they had these things set up on, and you still had to like you know quasimodo your back over in order to like extend your neck to stick your eyeballs into the screens of this thing. <laughs> to see it. And so just the whole thing was just real fucking uncomfortable. And, and honestly, I'd almost say that I would have preferred this thing to uh, stay as a head mounted device, which was one of their original concepts for it. But then again, the machine itself is, is heavy enough that that's not really viable either because you're just going to end up with neck fatigue, like within five minutes because you've got this brick strapped to the front of your face. Now, Nintendo apparently also knew that this was an issue because there were some pictures floating around at one point, and you can still go find them, of a design for a shoulder mounting accessory that was going to you know, be released for this thing after the fact, which was, of course, never made because the fucking thing was only on the market for seven months here anyway. It was actually on the market for only five months in Japan. They pulled the plug even faster over there. Ouch. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole thing was just like I felt like everything about this with one major exception was just very poorly conceived. Like okay. I know a lot of people and to some degree I'm probably going to do it too will shit on the display of this thing because of the color choices, the red and the black monochrome. But for for what it's worth, the display is actually pretty crisp. Um, and clear it looks nice once you look at it it, like if you're not looking at it in 3d if you're looking at the 2d images 
Yeah. It's really hard to convey how actually for, for a monochrome display, how nice it does look. Yeah. And like once you fiddle with the, the focus knob or whatever and get the distance set right, like it, it actually does look pretty crisp. And, and I do appreciate that, especially comparatively to like we mentioned in the brief history, like the, the OG Game Boy. One of the major problems with that display and the sort of green monochrome that it went with was the fact that it did have some serious blurring issues with faster moving sprites on the screen. And so you didn't really have that issue with this, which is nice. Honestly, in my opinion, the real problem was never the display itself. It was the fact that in order to play this thing, you had to have it right up next to your eyeballs. And as any good mom circa 19, I don't know, 70 onward would tell you, sitting too close to the TV is clearly bad for your eyes. And so one can only imagine plastering one or two screens, really, directly up against your face maybe not the best idea (laughs) which by the way (laughs) by the way i just want to point out on the topic of the display if you've never seen one of these systems then you might not know this but the literature that came with it like the instruction manual and all those like other things that you get the booklets that come with a console this one had just a litany of very explicit warnings printed in red text on it. One of which being, and this was actually printed on the very front of the box as well. They were so concerned about covering their ass from a legal standpoint that children under seven years old should not play it due to permanent eye damage because at that point your retinas are still developing. So just stop for a moment. Right? <laughs> Think about Nintendo. <laughs> And the fact that they've built their entire image on being this family-friendly company. For all ages. For for everyone. For from, everybody. From, from nine months to, to 99 years. Just the whole family. Your grandma wants to wee bowl fucking knock herself out. Which she might if you don't use the wrist strap. But like for, for a company that is built on that image. Releasing a product where you legally have to say children of a certain age cannot play this. Kind of shooting yourself in the foot, I think. That could just be me. I don't think so. I always, I always remember, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto saying his games weren't meant for people under seven. Oh, he's hard, he's too hardcore and mature, and he that's why his uh, Super Mario Brothers game is so dark and gritty. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, because um, the bricks are mushroom people. I mean, you're killing a well, mushroom person every time you crush those bricks, so it's pretty dark, man. By the way, Shigeru Miyamoto, yeah. I don't think ever said that. Uh, I, I, I don't believe he did. I, I have a feeling that he, he never said that he did. However, say he went on record as saying that the, the virtual boy, in his opinion, was always meant to be nothing more than a toy and it shouldn't have been marketed as a full fledged console. So there is that they're all toys. Mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'd call, are, are you, are you calling the Wii U a toy, Chris? Yes. Mm. It's a fantastic toy. Okay. There's nothing wrong with the fact that they're toys, but they are toys. I mean, people call cars toys. Well, I think the distinction he was trying to make is that it was always meant to be some kind of a novelty and not like a wholesale replacement for a Super Nintendo or a Game Boy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they have essentially the same warnings on the 3DS? Uh, They did, but to a lesser extent, just because, uh, you know, I don't know. you, You didn't have to put the 3DS up to your face. But people's, I'm sure, still did. 
I mean, also for what it's worth, the 3DS at least you allows you to turn off the 3D, which I did immediately and then never turned it back on again. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it does allow that. I mean, technically, the Virtual Boy provides that option too, just like my Virtual Boy. Yeah, I just wear an eye patch. That's one. The other one <laughs> is that one of the monitors just won't work. Oh, yeah, that will. That way, it'll it'll do it for you. I guess. Yeah, I got I got my Virtual Boy from the store because there were two Virtual Boys. When I went into the store Mm -hmm. and I tried out the first one and I was like, oh, like this one doesn't work. It's like, oh, okay, here's another one. I tried that out. I thought it worked. And then I I actually played it more for like than like three minutes when I got home with it and realized, no, it did not work either. (laughs) But I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I have a virtual boy. It's a nice display piece. It's a nice conversation starter. Yeah, that that is true. Like, why the fuck do you have that thing? I mean, it looks real nice on a mantle or a coffee table maybe here's a structure here's a statue an idol based off your earlier topic to my depravity (laughs) you have this there's if you have a virtual boy in your home and it's on display there is no hope for you just (laughs) just accept it yeah i mean and you know the funny thing about like collecting that stuff now right is when this thing tanked as quickly as it did a lot of retailers were having fire sales on these things for like 20 bucks brand new inbox oh yeah and like now buying it it's like several hundred dollars i mean i will go back to the display though you're right i think the other thing is i don't know how they were displaying it it had i don't want to say it was through lcd i don't know if it was like lcd or or like mini crts neither would surprise me but this was well before the days that like lcd is really commonplace so i could understand if Whatever the technology they were using to cause it to display. Oh, I, I believe it was LED. Okay. I mean, that's still fairly innovative for the time. You know, it's. Yeah. Yes, it's it's monochrome, but the kind of technology you were getting, even if it was $189, uh, which is what, like $380, $400 today, something like that. You're still getting quite an advanced piece of technology for 19 96 you know 1995 96 mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's worth buying but the fact that you're getting this almost crystal clear image where you know you had sprites granted not in color but just as detailed as anything you would get on the super nintendo and, and you're getting really good 3d display uh, with some games even having some good use of depth like that's 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 still pretty cool it's not 189 dollars cool but it's <laughs> it's cool So I do have to give it that. Yeah. And I mean, it does. I mean, to your point about like the display capabilities, I mean, the thing does have a 32 bit processor in it, but you'd never know it. No, I mean, it's, it's something that's akin to like the PlayStation or the Saturn. But the problem is, is that they're, they're forcing it to do double duty by displaying on two simultaneous led screens. So you'd never even know that that's what's in there because it's, you know, having to work (laughs) twice as hard to display something that looks like it should have been on a Game Boy Color or something, right? Well, yeah. Well, this is this is a problem they've been having with VR even up until today. It seems like they've just recently conquered that. True. When you're, when you're thinking about, you know, you, you go back to the PlayStation VR and people are trying. People still say that you get motion sickness from that. And how long, how many times do they have to tweak, uh, tweak the Oculus and uh, the HTC Vive and everything like that until they had something that didn't make people want to vomit their brains out? So you do 
still see this as an issue that comes up with VR today just because of the amount of power you need to drive to screen simultaneously to give a sense of death that doesn't make people feel horrendously ill. So, yeah, I can kind of understand that it does take a lot of power to push these things, which means that Nintendo probably just shouldn't have done that. I mean, Shigeru Miyamoto is 100% correct. It should have just been a novelty. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why you saw a lot of other companies jump out of the VR consideration because Sega was making their own VR around the same time, too. And it was supposed to be better, but it never really came to fruition, probably just because it was too expensive. I haven't done really any research on it leading up to this episode, just going strictly based off memory here. But I do know it never released. I think the closest we got was that that weird VR game in the arcades, which looked like a periscope. I'm sure some of you are saying it right now. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And that was pretty cool, but you didn't really get a good sense of depth, which is you know, one of the reasons they didn't go with color for the virtual boy, because you just you couldn't get depth with color at that time. It wasn't possible. You could get color, but you weren't going to get depth. So using that technology more within uh, the, for color within an arcade cabinet made a lot more sense than it would for a, a you know, attempted massively produced commercial item. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was basically pick one or the other because the horsepower just wasn't there to do both. And so they. Skipped out on the full color palette in favor of monochrome to be able to kind of get that depth of field effect that they wanted, which to its credit, like the system actually does that pretty well. Um, It varies depending on which game you're playing, I think, um, because some definitely take advantage of the hardware's capabilities better than others. Honestly, most of the games, in my opinion, really come down to more of just either straight up not even really using the, the depth at all no um or just kind of being a gimmick where it's just like oh look at the object it got bigger and so it looks like it's coming at you like really shitty 3d movies from you know a decade or so ago so they don't really justify being on a vr in air quotes device at all and, and some of the ones that kind of did it halfway okay were also just ultimately like 2d parallax scrolling sprites which is neat but mm-hmm. that's also something that you can do on literally any other 2d system i guess you just kind of get a little bit more of, of, of a sense of depth with this um than you would on you know a more traditional system mm-hmm. i don't know Th- there's a couple exceptions i don't know how you feel about them i personally thought that red alarm was a really good exception to the rule here mostly just because i really liked the wireframe like polygonal 3d approach very much like Star Fox that they did which makes it feel way more like actual 3d and also telero boxer that should have been the pack in i agree i actually think that if if red alarm was better developed and more fully fleshed out that you may have had a killer app with it mm-hmm. but yeah it's instead it comes off feeling like a tech demo just because it's so basic but i think the the elements were there to really make that an, an attention grabber be like, hey, look, look at what you can do. They sh- if they had a Star Fox game like Red Alarm and they put some actual effort into it, I think more virtual boys would have would have shifted units. I really think it would have. Would it have ultimately been a success? N- no, but <laughs> <laughs> well, the fun fact about that, too, is that they actually had one. They had one in development, but it got canceled because the thing tanked. Right. But that's the thing. They didn't come out with anything at launch that made you want to get one. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. But before we do, I do want to touch on the controller mm, yeah. and 
That's because the controller is actually really good. I think it's the best part of the system. I mean, <laughs> that's a low bar, but I mean, even <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, even that being said, okay, well, we said the display was good, but in terms of you know the functionality and, and ergonomics, it's shit, uh, utter shit. But the controller is not one of those problems. It's a really nice controller. It actually is a forward-thinking controller. It has two control pads on either side, which in 1995 made absolutely no sense. But now you look at every single controller (laughs) on the market and it has, you know, two analog pads, but I mean, it's still two control pads and, and buttons, you know, that, that are not necessarily easy to reach outside of that with, with essentially shoulder buttons or back buttons that you would use. So yeah, it's a really forward thinking and comfortable controller. It is. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 the grips on both sides are surprising surprisingly comfortable like it's it's actually a a great controller to 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 hold like the feel of it is awesome i also found it interesting that they decided to go with the power source for the entire system being like in the controller like on the back of it that was that was an interesting choice to me that's one source i correct i don't have an ac adapter with mine so Mm. correct me if i'm wrong here but i think the ac adapter does hook up to the unit itself or does it hook up to the controller? I, I'd have to double check this. I believe it hooks right through the controller because the batteries also go in the controller. Right. And I could be wrong. I know that there's like a slot to, to play two player games on the system that was never used like a link. cable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they were going to have link cables available. And, and honestly, that was one of the other things. Actually somebody, it was one of, I think a game journalist or something at the time, or it could have been someone from Nintendo. I don't recall exactly, but someone pointed that out specifically as what they thought was one of the major downfalls of the system is that the whole damn thing is so antisocial. Like, like you can't even watch a friend play because their face is buried inside the headset and there's no way to output the video. So like, not only can you not watch somebody play, but they never ended up with a way to play with people because they never got that far. So it just, there just wasn't a lot there to, to kind of sell it. I don't know. Also, I, I mentioned it offhandedly, but I do want to bring this up because I think it's an important point in that. Why the hell was Tolero boxer, not the pack in title? Why the fuck do you pack in Mario tennis? Because they wanted to listen to NEC. Uh, Sure. Okay, fine. But like (laughs) tennis, like no one is going to be like, yo, you need to check out this virtual boy. Like I can play tennis on it, dog. Nobody in their right mind has ever said that ever. Now, if you had instead been like, Hey, there's this really awesome first person boxing game that makes it feel like you're actually in there. Uh, and the sprite work is actually really well done. And it takes a note out of some of the super Nintendo games where you've got bigger characters that are composed of multiple conjoined sprites that gives them this very sort of distinct movement and look to them that I, I really like. It reminds me a lot of a lot of the Contra three bosses actually, Mm -hmm. but like that would have been a fucking killer pack in title. And I just, I don't understand why that didn't happen. I, I don't know. It's the same reason that, you know, a game like Golden Axe isn't a, you know, isn't a pack in with the TurboGrafx-16. It's just short sightedness. I think especially for Nintendo, because they wanted to be like, okay, we have a Mario game. This is obviously going to be the pack in. Uh, I guess. You know, what else would Nintendo think? 
and Miyamoto wasn't involved on this at all. As we said in the brief history, he wasn't looking at it. Right. Gunpei Yokoi, you know, I think he was partially responsible for Super Mario Land, if I'm not mistaken. But even the original Tetris was was packed. I mean, not Tetris. The original Game Boy was packed in with Tetris. So, I mean, that was correct move. But it, what I think what it showed Nintendo is that, oh, we don't necessarily have to pack in our best game, which, again, I you're right. You know, why wouldn't they learn that? Maybe they didn't test it. Maybe they didn't play it. Maybe it just wasn't considered. I think you have a good case for Mario Tennis if you have the link cable out, if it's uh, link capable and compatible. Sure. I think yeah. you have a great case to make that the packing game. So maybe that was the thought process. It's just they couldn't get it done in time and maybe they didn't. It's just oversight. I guess. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's it's a terrible it's a terrible decision when you consider it's not two player. Well, and and I think you might be right because a lot of what went into how this whole thing turned out anyway was there was a there was a really big push from upper management, specifically the president of Nintendo at the time, to get this fucking thing out the door because they kind of had a relatively small window of opportunity, right, in between you know their previous system and then the N64, which was supposed to be coming out like a year later, where all of their competitors had already released their next gen consoles and Nintendo was again behind the curve there. Um, So they were like, well, fuck, we need something. So just finish that thing and put it out. And so I think that certainly didn't help their case at all. Mm -hmm. There is one more thing that I just want to mention before I move on to the next thing and and move away from the, the games. And that is, I have yet another reason to be jealous of, of Japan. And then they got, this really fucking badass game called Innsmouth no Yokata, mm. which is basically like an HP Lovecraft inspired first person horror survival game. I watched some gameplay of it. It looks fucking cool. And I'm just like, that would have been awesome. Now, granted, uh, again, and you can say this with pretty much any game on the Virtual Boy, I'd probably prefer to play this on anything else. But <laughs> like. If it was made available stateside, I think that would have done really well, too, because that was also kind of a niche that the Virtual Boy hadn't really covered, even though they kind of tried to cover a lot of their bases with the you know, somewhat limited library that they ended up with. But that would have been a good one. Oh, especially that you're so isolated and you have the 3D effect and the colors. Yeah, red and black. It's yeah, perfect. I'm not sure if it's an, if it's any good of a game, but. I think a horror game with with the right sound direction and design on a system like the Virtual Boy could actually it could actually be somewhat decent. It could be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Do you want to get into the games? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, we kind of already did. We, we kind of yeah. moved on there already. So let's let's move on to that. We've talked about a bunch of them. OK. Can I just say that the majority of this library is not bad? No. It's not They're They're all actually pretty competent. I wouldn't say that there's a bunch of like real standout, like must play titles, but, um, but no, they're not bad with the exception of like water world. <laughs> yeah. Water, water world does not look fun. I've not personally played it, but just judging by the rest of the water world games, I'm not inclined to ever touch it. Cause essentially it's just that game for the virtual boy. Well, and this one is like widely considered to be the worst of all of them, if that gives you any indication. <laughs> oh, really? I thought it was considered to be one of the better versions of it. I was horribly wrong then. Mm-mm. OK, so there's that. But you do have you do have Wario Land on here, which is really good. 
As we already said, Mario Tennis is a decent game. Tellero Boxer does what it needs to do. Red Alarm is an impressive tech demo for the time. And then you have other games like uh, Jack Brothers, which is it's an interesting and fun game. But again, it's not a system mover. But, you know, apparently people are willing to pay like five hundred dollars plus for that damn thing. Well, I mean, you do know that that was actually a, a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's I think that's part of why that is. And apparently it had a pretty low production run. And Shocker. from what I've seen of the gameplay, it's actually actually a pretty fun one, too. So. That's, I think, what's driving the price up. Oh, I'm sure. It's a good game. It's a, a Shin Megaten game and low production run. Of course, yeah, that, that's going to be the game that everyone's going to want to get. But again, it's not enough reason. None of these games are enough reason to buy a Virtual Boy. No, no, absolutely not. I kind of alluded this, to this earlier, but they just really feel like, I don't know, glorified Game Boy games with like a coat of red paint. Like, I just don't there's there's nothing compelling here and further like i think with a few exceptions like maybe like the jack brothers one there's just not a lot that's going to keep your attention for very long either they much like the system itself most of the games just feel like a novelty at best like you're going to play them for maybe 15 minutes and you're going to be like okay yeah i i get what this game is doing that's neat i guess like, I mean, there's 3D Tetris also. That looks awful. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting concept, but in practice, it seems to sway between being stupidly easy and like frustratingly difficult with no middle ground. And that's because you're trying to judge placing, you know, Tetraminos in a 3D space as they are dropping down into like a, you know, rectangular hole basically so on paper probably sounded like a real nifty idea much like this entire thing but didn't really pan out you know on at the at the end of the product so i don't know man like it's just i i actually really wish that at least a few of these games would be remastered or like ported to something like put it up put you know what fucking put a virtual boy section on the the switch online catalog and no it doesn't have to be in 3d obviously just make the games available because some of them like wario land are actually good games and they're worth playing um they're just not worth ruining your eyeballs over well mario clash looks like a lot of fun too (sighs) it does it's i mean it's it's just the original mario brothers game but with pseudo 3d added because you can throw shells from one end of the thing to the other. Like I, right. Eh, but I like, the new, right. I like the new coat of paint. I like the slightly new ideas around it. And it's not like the original Mario brothers isn't a fun game. I think it is a fun game. I think you could get away with re-releasing Mario clash with, um, you know, just, just put color on it and remake it and put it out there on, you know, just not a lot of effort, of course. Make it like just a five dollar release for for Switch Online, and I think you have yourself a a fun little game that doesn't cost too much and it has a real arcade feel. I think you could do that for Tellero Boxer too. You know, it doesn't. It it can just be like a five dollar quick hit kind of deal that you don't really have to think much about, and you pick it up. You can have fun with it for an hour or two, and then whenever you need that quick hit, you can just turn back to it and get it. 
you know, I'm envisioning this in my head and I feel like this is such a quick win for them, but they'll probably never do it because at the end of the day, I feel like Nintendo likes to forget that this thing even existed. Do you blame them? (laughs) Not really. No, but just, I mean, okay. Picture this with me for a moment. If you will. Uh Playing this on, let's say, a Switch, of course, it's widescreen, so you can do the thing that a lot of other games have done, where because they're in 4.3, the the resulting extra space on the widescreen, they can do something like a, a backdrop image that looks like, you know, the outer shell of the Virtual Boy or something, and then you have your main game screen right in the center, and then just you know what do the minimal amount of work don't even colorize them just just for like the pure like ironic nostalgia factor just release them again in just pure ass black and red maybe up the the sprites a little bit so it looks crisper on like a modern you know resolution tv and and then just release all of the games that were released for the damn thing and if you want to do north american exclusive do just the 14 if you want to go balls out and do all of them, do 22 fine, but release them as like a collection. Just the fuck it's the fucking the virtual boy collection for like $20. You get all of them in this nifty little package. I feel like that's a quick win. And then, you know, some people would be able to experience some of these things like the virtual Wario land and, you know, Mario clash and what have you, or Tellero boxer um, without having to go, you know, do some kind of weird emulation or, tracking down a semi-functional virtual boy yeah that's a good question is there an emulator for the virtual boy for the oculus or the htc vive if that's even a thing <laughs> that is a good question i don't know because that would be like a perfect fit wouldn't it yeah like psvr i mean i would love to see nintendo and, and sony get together and nintendo would be like we got a major hit for you we're going to re-release all the virtual boys for your virtual reality <laughs> system <laughs> uh now your eyeballs can hurt in 4k well, now they've softened it a little bit, so it'll be all right. It'll be oh, okay. fine. Get some anti-aliasing in there. Yeah. Fine. Sure. <laughs> Didn't Switch come out with, like, Switch cardboard? I'm not talking about Labo. Didn't they, like, come out with something where they could simulate 3D images with the Switch? It just wasn't powerful enough to, like, do anything real with it. They could do that with Wario Land Virtual I, saying, well, I thought that was the Labo. Oh, maybe it was. I think it was. They could make Virtual Boy releases and do that. Why not? I'm just saying, man, $20 Virtual Boy collection. That's a dollar a game. Easy thing. Yeah, that's a that is an excellent value proposition. And honestly, that's about how much each one of those games is worth. I would uh, agree with you. Some of them are worth less than that. So uh, I guess value. Um, I'm not sure. (laughs) (sighs) Everyone would just play Virtual Boy Wario Land anyway. Probably that's that's what it comes down to. And again, these games aren't bad games. These are all like C plus games. Yeah. For the most part, with a couple of like maybe like what they're all like C plus with Waterworld. You're not going to brag to anybody about playing them, but you could certainly do much worse. You know, it could be the Jaguar. It could be. Could be, you know, maybe they could sweeten the deal in this classic collection I'm talking about by specifically advertising that they did not include Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't buy it, if you don't buy this the next time, we'll give it to you for free with Waterworld. So buy yeah. it. So we don't have to include this. Waterworld is the is the pack in title. Yeah, it's a system seller. See, 100%. N- Nintendo, we're here. We can we can come up with these ideas for you. 
That's right. Give us a call. People people want virtual boy shit. <laughs> There's there is a mighty need. <sighs> no, I mean it's 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 a tiny need, but it's it's a tiny <laughs> yet uh dedi- dedicated sure i, I, I mean, don't even listen man there's a homebrewing community for this fucker okay i mean no, there are some cool. people out there that like really probably at least semi-ironically like the virtual virtual boy like i i happen to see that somebody made like a street fighter virtual boy game yeah i think like i saw someone selling like a repro of that for 300 dollars because it's so uncommon yeah that's ridiculous but i can see the appeal i mean look at the vectrex yeah it was ahead of its time you vector graphics at home it's really cool you're you're getting that with the virtual boy in 1995 and granted no it's it's not that great right but it's way better than the fucking r zone and <laughs> uh, yes, that's that's a stellar bar. N gauge. <laughs> I mean, I would even argue to a point. Yeah, better than the Gamecom or the N gauge. And you could argue to a point it it plays better than almost well, within a lot of 3DO games. And this was out after the 3DO. And that's yeah. also 32 bit. So it's look, is it a great console from an ergonomic standpoint? No. But before I really start ripping on that i guess we just gotta say i mean this is we're already in does this console hold up today yeah we roll right i think the answer is pretty self-explanatory which is no it (laughs) doesn't no (laughs) i mean it didn't hold up on release so i don't know what you expect (laughs) but i i do think you have to go back and you you have to at least appreciate the Admittedly, Nintendo didn't make an effort. I think they looked at it and be like, we got to dump this shit so we can just focus on the N64, mm-hmm. which is what it sounds like. But there's just too much pride for them to come out and say that even back then, of course. But you do have to appreciate the willingness to take a risk, at least in some small part. And for Gunpei uh, Yokoi to be like, hey, maybe I can do something with this. And the fact that it is still somewhat cool, if you can get your hands on one and you can play it, it does say a lot about the system that... They they had the right idea in mind. It's just they completely missed the target. But there was a lot there that the system, I think, could have done something. It could have been a lot of fun. And it was just it was a horrendously missed opportunity. And and I definitely think it was well before its time. But I think it also shows this. I this this whole entire desire to one day play games in this full in this semi immersive 3D environment or somehow 3D was ever going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. It always constantly gets proven constantly and consistently gets proven wrong. We saw that with 3D TVs. No one gave a shit about the 3D on the Nintendo 3DS. Just drop 3D already. No one cares unless you're doing what they're doing with VR now. So in that sense, yeah, the Virtual Boy was just way too ambitious for its time. Uh, cool concept. Did some cool things. Certainly doesn't hold up today, but it is a neat little novelty that does have its perks. Just just but don't worry about it. (laughs) Yes, honestly, this is just another example of Nintendo kind of coming up with some gimmick and then like walking like ass first into the rest of figuring out how to make it work. And then they just kind of didn't with this. And it's not necessarily the only case in their history where that has occurred. 
And I'm sure we will probably talk about some of those others at some point in the future. I'm sure some that occurred much closer in, in the timeline to this than others. But, but yeah, man, I'm kind of on the same page, like, because it's really mostly just sort of a oddball curiosity at this point, more than anything, I, I will, I will quote the great Indiana Jones and say that it belongs in a museum. Oh, this thing is terrible. I know. I like. I, if you were coming here expecting a different take than probably every YouTuber under the sun has already done by now, I'm sorry, you're not going to get it. I mean, I'm not going to take a dump on the damn thing. It, It is cute. It tried to do what it... something, I guess. There was an attempt. There was an attempt. And I feel bad for it. No, I don't feel bad for it. I wish I could say I felt bad for it. I'll put it that way. No, you know who I feel bad for are the developers of the games that were actually decent that were exclusive to this thing. That's who I feel bad for because, again, like we said, some of those titles actually deserve more recognition than they got simply by virtue of being, you know, harnessed to this interesting attempt at a console. Yeah. All right. Well, in any case, I believe that that is going to do it for our discussion of the Virtual Boy, uh, Nintendo's literal, almost redheaded stepchild, I guess. So this is the part where we usually plug a lot of the stuff that we've got out there on the Internet. And fortunately for you, we have condensed all of that into one easily accessible place. So if you want to check out stuff like our uh, public discord or the Patreon, if you'd like to support the show in that fashion, or the merch store, or our Twitch channel, or YouTube, or any of our socials, you can just head over to linktree slash retro hangover, that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash retro hangover, and all of those will be there for you. And speaking of Twitch, Chris, would you like to talk a little bit about our stream Sundays? Yeah, absolutely. If you swing by twitch.tv slash retro hangover at 9 p.m. Eastern time ish, you'll find us playing something right now at the recording in this episode. I'm anticipating is probably going to be Final Fantasy five because the four job fiesta is coming up. So, yeah, right now is recording. It is not going on. But when this comes out, it definitely will be. So please join me as I play Final Fantasy five. I hope I'm still playing that anyway. If not, I'll just play it for the sake of this episode. I guess that'll work. <laughs> Or we'll totally forget that you said that and it's all irrelevant. Yeah. Oh, well, I know Lyle will remind me regardless. True. Yes, that's true. So, yeah, stop on by. All right. Well, with all of that being said, until next time, play with your red rocket joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. 
Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.